Hello everyone, I am Dorina Esandada. I am a board member of the Monograph and I am the Early Career Representative. Today we are going to talk about the recently published Monograph, The Challenge of Tuberculosis in the 21st Century. I am very honored to have here two editors of the Monograph, Alberto Garcia Bastero and Fusun Onel Eupolo. Alberto is an Associate Research Professor at the Barcelona Institute for Global Health in Barcelona, Spain, and he is also a coordinator of the TB research at the Mozambique. He is mainly focused on the study of TB in high TB burden and high HIV burden settings in the Sub-Saharan Africa, including field epidemiological assessments, novel sputum-free diagnostic evaluations, and drug and vaccine clinical trials. His interests include the burden of TB disease in different vulnerable populations and the characterization of TB at a clinical, microbiological, and social level. Kusun Onel Eupolu is a full professor, and she's also the one who established the pulmonary division at Bashkent University, which is the place where I'm working today, and it has been an honor to work with her. She was the chair of the pulmonary division for 16 years, and Kusun was a member of the Tuberculosis Advisory Board of the Turkish Ministry of Health, and her research mainly focuses on pulmonary infection in immunocompromised patients. Her expertise is mainly in the diagnosis and management of TB among immunocompromised patients, and she has been involved in several projects and clinical trials in the University of Pennsylvania as a research fellow, which have been relating to the immunology of TB. She has also participated in several national and international research projects and clinical trials as principal investigator, which were related to the diagnosis of the latent tuberculosis infection in renal failure and solid organ transplant patients. She has collaborated in several PBNAT ERS research projects and also is the secretary of the ERS group 10.2 Tuberculosis and Non-Tuberculosis Mycobacterial Diseases since 2021. First of all, welcome to both of you. Thank you very much. Thank you, Darina. So how did you find yourselves involved in the TBPL? Can you tell us about that, Dr. Alberto? Sure. Thank you, Dorina. Well, I was already involved in some TB control activities while I was doing my medical residency. I did preventive medicine and public health after I studied medicine, and I was already involved in some TB control activities within the preventive medicine department. So there I understood and I learned about the disease. And then, of course, I, I had a, a, a genuine interest in global health problems. And, and TB stands as one of the main global health concerns. So that's why I started to engage with the fight against TB. Thank you. And Dr. Piston? Yeah, starting from my residency, I was always involved in uh, tuberculosis and I had the chance to work in a tuberculosis dispensary during my mandatory service. So it started from the beginning of my medical life, I would say. And when I went to the United States as a research fellow, I was involved in many tuberculosis projects. And when I came back to Turkey, the prevalence of tuberculosis in Turkey wasn't as good as nowadays. So we were seeing many patients with TB. And as the university where I worked was working with the immunosuppressed patients a lot, I was seeing many TB patients and I worked on this subject. Okay. So I wanted to ask to Alberto, well, the previous monograph about TB, as you know, was published in 2018. So it has been like five, six years from that monograph. 
So what was the need for this new monograph? What are the main updates that this monograph brings? A lot has happened in the past five, six years in the field of TB. In the field of TB control, on one hand, we have had a, a pandemic in the middle of this period that has affected severely the other pandemic of tuberculosis. And then there has been some advances in research, in new diagnostics, new shorter treatments, and also some excitement advancements coming up with new vaccines. So I think a lot of things have happened in the past six years. And in this new monograph, we include topics that have gained a lot of attention lately that were not included in the previous monograph. And examples of that is we have a chapter on post-TB lung health, which is there in many patients, there is lung damage after a TB episode, and this was not really recognized previously, and also is a burden that a lot of TB patients have to endure. We include a new chapter on genomic approaches, how genomics can be very useful tools for TB management and control. We have also a chapter on migrations and health, and I think this is a very, very up-to-date topic in the current context of displacements and wars. We also have a topic on TB imprisons, which we believe might be behind the upward trend we are seeing in TB incidents in some regions in the world, in particular in the Americas. The TB incidence was going up before COVID-19 pandemic kicked in, and we believe that the amount of prisoners and people deprived of liberty in prisons in Central America and South America is increasing very rapidly and in parallel the number of TB patients. But if I have to say something important is that we wanted to give this new edition of the TB monograph a global perspective, the vision of TB problems from all around the world, not only in Europe. TB is a problem in Europe, in particular in Eastern Europe and with particular type of TB that does not respond very well to the main drugs we have to fight it. We have authors from all continents of the world with different backgrounds and experience. We also have the perspectives and the views from uh, TB survivors. And I think this is extremely important. Take their views into account when we design TB control strategies, but also when we design TB research that is meaningful for TB patients. Well, thank you very much, Dr. Alberto. Dr. Fusun, do you want to add something? Yeah. In addition to COVID pandemic, as Alberto said, there have been several threats such as wars, natural disasters, climate change, and other challenges resulted as a failure in the global TV control. And as we are not at the desired level of TV control, we decided to discuss everything again and try to summarize the updated knowledge on TV. Well, thank you very much. So regarding the global burden of TV, World Health Organization Global Anti-TB Strategy targets to end TB worldwide by 2030. So how could this be achieved? Do you think that the strategies can be efficient at the global level where, as you all know, inequity to healthcare is an important issue. What do you think, Alberto? Well, um, it's going to be very complicated to reach the NTB strategy goals. They wanted to reduce mortality by 95% from 2015 to 2035, TB incidence by 90% from 2015 to 2035. And we will aim to have 0% of households facing catastrophic costs. 
So given the impact of, of the COVID-19 pandemic, this is unlikely to be to be achieved. We have to take into account that just in the period 2020 to 2022, we had an excess of deaths of around half a million, according to data of the World Health Organization. So I guess it will be hard to reach those targets, but we have to do our best to get as close uh, as possible. As you also mentioned that the world unfortunately had to face with COVID-19 pandemics and that had a great effect on TB, but how did that affect the TB control and care? Could you give us some more information, detailed information about that, Dr. Pussell? I would say the most obvious and immediate impact on TB caused by the COVID-19 pandemic was a large global fall in number of people newly diagnosed with tuberculosis because we know that a large increase between 2017 and 2019 before the pandemic, the reported TB patients numbers were very high, but there was a reduction in the first two years of the pandemic, a reduction of 80% in terms of newly diagnosed TB patients. This was a reduction from 7.1 million to 5.8 million. But we noticed a major global recovery in number of people diagnosed with tuberculosis and treated in 2022 after two years of COVID-related disruption. So we can make a comment on this. And this has started to reverse the damaging impact of the pandemic on the number of people dying from or falling ill with tuberculosis. But a very important point was reported that also TB remained the world's second leading cause of death from a single infectious agent in 2022 after COVID-19. So global TB targets have either been missed or uh, remain off track. But as we had experienced a terrible pandemic, we had some take-home messages from that. And the diagnostic innovations brought by the COVID-19 response and evaluating the existing diagnostic platforms or developing new portable things, instruments uh, for testing alternatives, there are promising diagnostic techniques in terms of detecting patients with tuberculosis. The molecular technological infrastructure currently that we have due to the COVID-19 holds promise for swift and accurate detection of tuberculosis as well. And I would say the mRNA vaccine technology, which has proven effective in combating COVID-19, also offers a promising thing for the development of TB vaccines, for example, by encoding specific antigens of the tuberculosis bacterium into mRNA sequences, it becomes possible to induce a targeted immune response against TB. So adapting the mRNA vaccine technology for TB seems to revolutionize the prevention and control of this infectious disease. So these are the advantages. Thank you very much, Dr. Kasun. And I want to point out to another important topic regarding the transmission of the disease. We know that actually not all the patients might present in a typical way. So we have also those subclinical TB cases 
And we do also have a lot of patients that have got a latent infection, which somehow at some point, because of some risk factors, will turn out to be an active infection. So what is the subclinical TB referring to actually? And how can we improve the active case finding and the activation from the LTBI? So what do you think, Dr. Alberto? Well, this is a field that has gained tons of uh, attraction from researchers, public health officers, and in fact, we include some of some discussions on subclinical TB and earlier phases of the disease in this updated monograph. So, subclinical TB is the is the disease that is associated with tissular damage. So, there's damage in the tissues, mostly in the lungs, uh, that is caused by mycobacterium tuberculosis. That is observable, let's say, by X-ray, or you can isolate the bacteria using a microbiological test, but the patient reports not the typical symptoms that we usually ask for when we inquire the patient for TB-compatible symptoms. So this is subclinical TB. In many cases, we believe we can detect it in the respiratory secretions of these patients, but we've known for a lot of time of subclinical TB, there's still tons of gaps around it. We don't know how much it contributes to global TB transmission. We don't know whether these patients that do not have cough, for example, can effectively transmit the infection that really lead to a secondary case of tuberculosis. Still, we do not have good information on this. There are some modeling studies that tell us that potentially more than 50% of future global TB transmission might be due to subclinical TB. Why? Because they might be spreading the disease, but they feel healthy, so they never start TB treatment. If you have someone with symptoms, okay, they might transmit the disease, but for a short period of time, because then uh, someone will start the non-treatment. So there is a lot of uncertainty on the on the contribution of subclinical TB to transmission, and it, indeed, it contributes to transmission, of course, then we have to do something. We have to identify those patients in areas of high TB burden so we can reduce transmission effectively. Perhaps we are not succeeding in bringing down the TB incidence because we are doing nothing about TB transmission. Perhaps this is a hypothesis, but definitely this is a topic of a lot of interest for researchers around the world. Yes, that seems quite challenging, actually, in our clinical practice to catch these cases because it's quite difficult. But as you said, that might be the most important thing that we miss, maybe, while solving this puzzle. So another important issue is also the adherence of the TB patients toward treatment, which is long, many months, contains multiple pills, which have to be taken at the same time. And this is quite difficult for elderly patients as well, and also have gotten multiple side effects which leads to dropouts and which is something that we don't want as clinicians. So what are the new recommendations regarding the duration of TB treatment? So could we use shorter regimes of antibiotics or treatment choices that could have the same efficacy? There are shorter regimes for both TB treatment and TB prevention. In 2021, we had the results of a study that showed that a four-month regime for drug-susceptible tuberculosis was not inferior to the standard six-month regime. So hopefully the implementation of these regimes will increase adherence. Similarly, for a preventive treatment, the traditional six-month regime of isoniazid 
now has some alternatives. We can provide together isoniazine and rifampicin for a duration of four months. We can provide only rifampicin for a shorter duration. We can provide high-dose isoniazine and, and rifapentin for three months, weekly rifapentin. And the shorter regime that has been recommended by the World Health Organization is one single month of daily rifapentin and isoniazid that has shown to be non-inferior to the longer regime with isoniazid. The problem for implementing uh, some of these shorter regimes is that, for example, one of the core drugs that is rifapentin is not available in some regions of the world and might be expensive for some other regions. So there are new tools, but it's still we have to make it accessible for patients all around the world. We also have shorter regimes for drug-resistant tuberculosis that is captured in the latest monograph. So we have six-month oral-based regimes for treating drug-resistant tuberculosis, which was a dream just four or five years ago, where patients had to take 18 months of up to six, seven drugs, or at least nine drugs. That was the, like the next phase. So now we have regimes that are just six months that are safe and that can be taken orally. Well, that sounds quite exciting to have some options at least and to wait for the implementation. So do you want to add something, Dr. Fison? As Alberto said, these types of short regimens are really important in terms of success in control of tuberculosis. But the main issue is the availability of these drugs in uh, all our countries. Unfortunately, it's not available everywhere. So hope we will get better results when we have the drugs who need it. The most important thing is to prevent the disease from happening. So this is really crucial to stop TB. So what can we do better in the future? What are the new options that we might use for the prevention of the disease? And which type of vaccines can we use in the near future? What do you think, Dr. Alberto? Well, um, unfortunately, we do not have a new vaccine to prevent tuberculosis. The one we have is BCG that is over 100 years old that is effective in preventing some severe forms of tuberculosis in children. So it's a useful vaccine, but it's insufficient. It does not protect against the most frequent form of tuberculosis in adults, that is pulmonary tuberculosis. That is the, the bad news. The, the good news is that on one hand, we have many candidates, new TB vaccine candidates in the clinical development. We have 14 candidates and at least eight are in the latest phases of development, SS2, 3. So if they actually show efficacy in those trials, they are likely to be marketed and be able to be implemented in countries. But they still have to show efficacy in those large phase to be phase three trials. But th these are exciting times because many candidates are entering those late phases of development. And hopefully in the next few years, we have an effective vaccine to prevent the disease in adults. On the other hand, we have more alternatives for preventive TB using uh, drugs. We have uh, new regimes and probably one of the things we have to do is expanding the criteria for taking preventive treatment to more populations. So 
Traditionally, preventive treatment was recommended for contacts of TB patients, mostly children and people living with HIV. But there are more populations that would benefit from preventive treatment and that are at high risk of developing the disease. And those would be healthcare workers, for example, migrants coming from countries with high incidence, people that are homeless, prisoners, people that are immunocompromised, irrespective of what the condition is. Let that be HIV, let that be those that are starting dialysis, those that are taking TNF-alpha inhibitors, those that are preparing for a transplant, those with diabetes, for example. So we have to communicate better about the advantages of preventive treatment and increase the uptake of this tool that can prevent a lot of cases from occurring. Thank you very much. This is quite exciting to hear, and I think that it will be like, uh, let's hope, less than five years' time to have the next monograph with all these new vaccines and these developments that will be a part of our clinical practice. What is your take-home message as editors of this monograph? What do you want the listeners to have uh, as a message from you? Dr. Fusul? I would say TB is a preventable and curable disease. It remains one of the world's top infectious killers, affecting millions every year. But with the new developments in terms of diagnostic or treatment tools, we can combat this disease and we can succeed to control TB. But as we are not at the desired level of TB control, we have to know the updated knowledge and we have to share it with each other and only that time we can succeed TB control. Thank you very much. And Dr. Alberto? Well, yeah, the message is very is very similar to what Professor Pusun just said. You know, for people living in Western Europe, given that this is the monograph from the ERS, we have to tell them, hey, TB has not gone away. TB is amongst us. We have done a lot of good things in TB control in Western Europe, but we have not got rid of TB. And in fact, it's the top infectious killer still around the world. Let's not forget that after the COVID-19 pandemic, TB is again the number one infectious killer. And this should not be acceptable given that we have the tools to diagnose the disease, to treat the disease, to prevent the disease. And we have the the technology to develop new tools as well. So the message is that we need to continue the investment in TB control and also in TB research if we want to get rid of this long-standing foe of humanity. And if there's something that COVID-19 pandemic has taught us is that the fight against TB is so fragile, so fragile. We need to keep it up. Just the COVID-19 pandemic has reversed, has set back years and years of progress in TB control. So we cannot forget about TB in the presence of other epidemics, and we definitely need to work together at political level so we get higher investments in the fight against the disease. Well, thank you very much to both of you because this was a wonderful conversation that I had. And I also invite all the listeners to read the monograph which is quite a comprehensive summary of the diagnosis of the advances in treatment, prevention, and tuberculosis control challenges in different populations. And you have done a great job with this monograph. Thank you. Thank you. So I'm afraid to finish this podcast for today. 
and see you in other podcasts for other WannaGrads. Goodbye.